In motion, Brad Walker away. Hand off to Herschel. Finds the three, down to the two, down to the one-yard line. That's a touchdown, Herschel Dennis, and a touchdown, USC. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. This week, our podcast is sponsored by sctickets.com. Need tickets to see the Trojans? Then check out sctickets.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. All right, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Happy Wednesday to everybody out there. This is episode number 13, Lucky 13. And our first segment, I'm joined, as always, by the coach, Harvey Hyde. How are you doing today, coach? Ryan, I am doing great. I really am doing great, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for uh, allowing me to be part of your wonderful website, and uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity of talking to the people who listen. No, thank you. I think everyone appreciates your uh, your insights there. We're going to get some of that today in the segment, but before we get to that, I want to take care of a little business. Uh, I wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment, sctickets.com, Southern California Tickets. You can reach them at 800-888-7287. If you have any ticket needs for concerts, sporting events, the theater, I think uh, Wicked is still playing there, Coach. My girlfriend wants to go see that. I better take her soon. Uh, You can go to sctickets.com or call 800-888-7287. Call him. Take your girlfriend to Wicked. I got some tickets there. I told you I went to Neil Diamond. Now, of course, uh, not Neil Diamond. I mean, I went to uh, uh, Elton John. Yeah, Elton John. Now, Neil John Diamond's coming up. So, Ooh. you know, you've got to go to the guy that puts you in the right seat. You know, you can't be embarrassed now. When you take your girlfriend, <laughs> don't embarrass yourself, Ryan. Don't be walking in and saying, don't forget, oh, where's our seat at? Oh, these aren't the tickets they told me I had. <laughs> you've got to have the tickets right up front where you can see and hear and you know. And then your girlfriend says, this is a... A great person I have. Ah, there you go. Okay, that's good advice. Thank you for that. And uh, I, will, <laughs> I will try to take that. She's been wanting to see that show, so we'll have to go see that soon. And I'll it's definitely... called recruiting, Ryan. It's called <laughs> recruiting, which is what you want to talk about. you got to do a good job recruiting. Yes, we're going to talk about recruiting today. But one, one thing before we get into that, Coach, uh, you don't get the chance uh, when I put the segment together to play the intros. I usually try to play a different introduction for every show that has a, a play from – you know, last season at some point, like a, a radio call from Pete Arbogast, who does the, uh, you know, Trojan play-by-play. Uh, this week, what we have on the the introduction is Herschel Dennis scoring a touchdown in the 2008 Rose Bowl against Illinois. He actually almost got a second touchdown. It just got me thinking. I thought it'd be neat for fans to kind of hear that if they forgot that he did score a touchdown uh, in the Rose Bowl. What you know, his career was so unique. I mean, he was there for six seasons. I don't think anyone every season he was there, they won the Pac-10 championship, and you know, so obviously he has a unique overall college career. But I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on on Herschel, and obviously, you know, with the the knee injuries, it kind of set him back a little bit. But just what you thought he did for the program. Well, you know, first of all, it's very unfortunate that he had these injuries, and yet it's fortunate he had a chance to. Who can say that he won six Pac-10 championships? That's probably Nobody, in the right? Rose Bowl record or Pac-10 record. I, I don't know who, who else could have done that. His name, if you did, if he hadn't accomplished that, you wouldn't have brought it up as one part of our conversation. 
So, you know, he's got to be proud of being able to be a tough guy and go through it and have that opportunity of having these great experiences and get an education and so on. Yet, the disappointing side of it, of course, is that the career was interrupted with injuries and so on. But, you know, the team loved him. And if you watched uh, the team when they when he scored, how they surrounded him, I even think he got a 15-yard penalty on it for, for celebration. I can't remember or something. But, but I tell you, the team was the one that was excited. They all surrounded him and hugged him and so on and when I talked to the coaches the coaches have said he's been always a guy that's out there as a leader not a powder not a me guy but a team guy and you know it's a difficult thing to do when you come out of high school and you have these great expectations of going to a great university and then maybe having the opportunity to play on Sunday so it's very hard to stay positive when things negatively happen to you you know as far as being injured or and then all the great recruits coming in at the same time when you're, when you're trying to battle for your position and you're coming off an injury and then you have great recruits coming in, probably the best set or group of running backs maybe in the history of USC all at one time. So it's very difficult. Yeah, so, but he goes down as someone that is respected. He is respected by the coaches. He's respected by the fans. He's respected by us as we talk about it. So he has something that some people don't have that played at USC. He's known for what he accomplished and how he uh, was able to stay positive and, 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 and be a part of the Trojan family. And, you know, part of going to USC is you can't go anywhere in the world without meeting someone that went to USC. And they say, oh, you went to USC. I went to USC. Oh, really? What year did you go to USC? Did you, oh, did you play football at USC? What teams did you play on? And when he's able to say, hey, I played on six Pac-10 champions, they say, what? Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? You know, so you got to look at some of that side of it, too, yet I understand his disappointment. Yeah, and, you know, you're, you're right about him being part of the Jordan family and everything else you said. I mean, his, his mom, Rose, would come to practice all the time, very supportive, and, you know, it was nice to see him just kind of end his career on a high note. And it's funny that he's kind of the end of this old-school running back. I mean, they had you know, guys like Chauncey who were around and actually played before like Reggie Bush and Lindell White and Herschel was around then back then too, even before those guys. And, you know, obviously with injuries and Chauncey had the, uh, the academic problems, they kind of had to sit on the sidelines while Reggie and Lindell kind of went crazy. Then they come back and you have this, this new school, you know, the new running backs coming in. So last year was kind of weird when you had Desmond Reed and Herschel Dennis and Chauncey Washington all sticking around and, and, you know, Desmond Reed and, and Chauncey contributing, obviously Chauncey, get, you know, being the leading rusher on the team, but all those guys leaving now, it kind of leaves a door open for all these younger guys. And of the six scholarship tailbacks on the team right now, five of them were rivals.com five-star players. So it's kind of, this will be the first year where we'll see there's no more of the, the, the old guard. It's all the new guys coming in and we have to see what they do at, you know, at the running back position. You're right, and let's don't forget Desmond Reed, since you brought that up, because Desmond Reed scored a touchdown in the Rose Bowl, too. And uh, remember the flip he did? He caught yeah. that pass from Green? <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty amazing play. When you, I remember watching the first couple of plays, and I think they had Brad Walker or something, a receiver, and Garrett Green. I, I, I can't remember what it was. And they, they had like you know, some of the reserves playing receiver the first couple of plays. I'm like, what is going on? Is everybody hurt? And then obviously they were just setting up for Garrett Green to throw that touchdown pass, and Reed being able to, you know, somersault into the end zone. I don't think anyone would have cared what kind of penalties you got on that just because everyone was so, you know, with the, with the Notre Dame long grass and him kind of just 
never being quite the same after that game. It, it's, everyone's just happy to see Reed succeed, like you said. And I'm going to tell you, he is a tough guy. I'm going to tell you, special teams-wise, he's a tough guy. And I remember watching him play in high school at Temple City High School. I remember I was part of the Passing a Quarterback Club, and we used to have award banquets, and we voted him the San Gabriel Player of the Year. And he came over, and I'll tell you what a great kid he was in going over to SC. And I'll tell you, he had a great career at Temple City High School, and he had a great career at USC, yet he was unfortunate, as you know, you mentioned in that Notre Dame game, to become injured. And I'll tell you, he was playing really good, too. I'll tell you, he's a tough kid, played special teams. I'll never forget some of the hits he made on kickoffs uh, and covering kickoffs and so on and returning punts and so on. So, you know, both these guys uh, will be recognized. Both these guys will always be remembered, among others, among others that have gone to USC. You know, everyone can't win the Heisman Trophy. Everyone can't be a number one draft choice, but they all contribute. They all contribute to the team's success, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I, th- I think Trojan fans and uh, you know even us in the media covering can be spoiled after you know just winning so many championships, you getting Heisman trophies every other year, stuff like that. It's you're right, and it, it takes guys like that though, like Desmond Reed, to come in and, and fill roles because you can't have every, everyone's not going to be a five star and. You need guys to come in and, and play and contribute, and I think Reed was definitely one of those guys. And I, you know, I think people are happy for him to score that touchdown, like you said. But um, wanted to the segment. We actually you know, we want to get into this a little bit. It's kind of a weird time of the season. You know, it's still there's not really an off season. There's a there's a year round program pretty much going on. You know, the spring practice is now over. Um, they're going to start their summer workouts either late late this month, May, or, or very early in June. Uh, all the incoming freshmen will be arriving on campus. You know, once they graduate, they can take part, and they graduate from high school, they can take part in these workouts with Coach Carlisle, um, and then they'll have their, you know, players only workouts where the Mark Sanchez will run them. He'll he'll have players come down. He'll organize a time once, twice, three times a week, whatever it is. Sometimes after the conditioning workouts to throw the ball around and let the defenders go one on one against the receivers, things like that. So trying to keep everybody sharp while you know they wait for the beginning of august and they start fall camp but right now in may it's kind of a weird time because finals are going on there's really not the team isn't really doing as many organized workouts they they have workout times they can go in but it's not really a, a structured thing where it normally is during the season but it's really a good time for the coaches to go out and kind of evaluate talent i just wanted to you know we talked a little about that nick saban rule where head coaches aren't allowed to visit high schools and bump into some of these prospects they're looking at, but the assistant coaches all kind of spread out all over the country and, and visit guys and, and try and, you know, do their evaluations. What, what are your thoughts on what this period is? Is this a time in the, in the season that you liked as being a coach and what kind of happens in the, in the coaching world during this May evaluation period? Well, you know, uh, when I, when I was coaching, uh, head coaches could go out on the road and recruit and I used to love it. I used to love it because that used to be my time to go and thank people for, you know, sending players to us or thank people or congratulate players or schools for their accomplishments during the year. And uh, I used to just make it like a PR trip. In fact, I used to also go to a lot of schools that didn't even have players. I mean, players now that we were recruiting. I used to go to schools where where we just stopped by and I'd say, you know, as I mentioned to you before, uh, what school is that? Because sometimes I'm in states or places that I'm not that familiar with, and he'd say, oh, that's that's real uh, high school coach. And I'd say, we haven't recruited that school? No, well, let's drive in there. And, you know, we'd go in and I'd see introduce myself to the principal and leave, and the principal would say, well, that was nice. 
I mean, he didn't have to stop here. So it kind of keep it, it keep it in the back of their mind if they get a player in the next year or two. Hey, you know that that Harvey Hyde is a nice guy. He stopped in when we didn't have anybody. Is that the kind of thing you're going for there? You're exactly right. And if I had an opportunity to speak at banquets in the fall and special events or show up at fundraising events, I would do that for these schools. I thought it was a great period of time. And on top of being able to evaluate kids and watch their films and talk to equipment guys and I, w- I would always want to know is who's going to make the call, who's going to push the button where the young player was going to go. And, I, and I'm pretty good at talking with people, so I, didn't, I would talk to the player, but I'd also want to find out who is this player's best friend, who is this player's going to sit down, who is this player going to sit down with when it comes to committing, and he's going to go in a room with this person and sit down and say, Joe, might be the equipment guy, Joe, where do you think I should go to school? I would want to find out who that is. But someone always had could be a mom, could be a dad. You know, there's some families, some kids don't have a mother or father that they want to go and talk to. They want to talk to someone. It could be a policeman. could be a, uh, whoever it is out there, a librarian. It could be the principal. It could be the counselor. So you want to try to identify or at least try to know as much about every player that you're recruiting who this player respects, who this player knows, because players today are very sophisticated. They know everything that's going on. They know who you're recruiting. They know how many backs you have, how many tailbacks you have. They look at your schedule. They come over and watch your practices. They talk. They call each other when they go to different campuses. They're in camps all over the country in summer camps at the Nike camp and at Stanford and the Combines and all of these different camps with the All-Star Army game and so on. So these players become friends, and they communicate. So it's a little bit different than what it used to be. These players know each other. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could call each other on their cell phone, send them text messages, and obviously they follow everything on Rivals.com. So they know, and when we break a story that some kid's got an offer, maybe back in the day you could tell them, oh, we're only offering one quarterback, and the the quarterback you told that to, not the saying that you would do that, but they – they probably wouldn't know if you were offering another one, but now they do. So you can't really, you, it probably limits what you can tell some of the kids that maybe you couldn't do before. No, you're exactly right. And I'll tell you what, kids sometimes, I'll bet your coaches even go to rivals.com to find out what's going on. Oh, they certainly, yeah, they do. You. Yeah. No, they all, they all do because they, I mean, it's such a huge database and there's a whole wealth of information there. There's periods when, you know, as a coach, you can't talk to kids, but as reporters, we can. So when we call up a kid and, and interview them and put it up on the site, if it's a kid that, you know, Texas or USC or UCLA or whoever is interested in, you know, those, the coaches for those respective schools can, can read what they're saying. No, I think they take a lot of it with a grain of salt because sometimes when you talk to a kid, especially if you're representing, you know, when we cover USC, sometimes the kid wants to tell us kind of what we want to hear because they know the USC fans are going to be reading it mostly. So they, I think a lot of the coaches take it with a grain of salt, but they also get a lot of information there, who's getting offers, and sometimes a kid can get an offer from like a Mac Brown and then it, 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 you know, from Texas. And then a lot of other schools kind of get in on it because like, Oh, he must be, you know, there must be something good about this kid. So I think it, it helps the publicity for the kids, but it also helps the coaches because they, you know, there's so many kids out there. It, it just gives them another resource that they can lean on to, you know, find out what's going on with some of these kids. You're exactly right. And also, you know, during the spring period, there's different evaluations going on in different parts of the country. Obviously, uh, major universities like USC, they recruit the whole country. But, you know, spring practice is something you like to try to get to. And in California, most, most of the spring practices for high school start 
after most of the sports are done. Uh, it used to have to used to have to wait really till baseball and track and field was done and so on, because there used to be that kids played in all the different sports. But now that just isn't the case. So you go out in May and you start recruiting. You watch spring practice. You can't talk to the players and so on. And in California, you can do that. In Texas and in uh, Florida, Florida, they put on full pads. Full pads. They go spring practice just like USC does. So you certainly want to get down there and watch them and and evaluate them. Now, in the Midwest, it's different. They don't even have spring practice. In the Midwest, yes, this is true. In the state of Michigan and Ohio and those school states, they don't have spring practice. They want kids to play all the different sports. They want kids, if he's a football player, to play track. If he's a sprinter and a back, they want him to run track. If he's an offensive lineman or defensive lineman, they want him to shot put or throw the discus or do something like that. They want kids to have different experiences. Now, I'm not telling you kids don't go out on their own and throw the ball around, but there's no organized spring practice in those states. And you would think of all the states in the Midwest, they have organized spring practice. They don't. So every part of the country has a different philosophy. And, and, you know, their philosophy in the Midwest is we want our kids hungry for football. We don't think it hurts because in the summer they're going to all these camps and everyone knows who they are anyway. Uh, here in California, yeah, they have spring practice. In Texas, yes, they have spring practice. They used to have uh, pads in Texas. I'm not sure if they do that anymore or not. But I know down in Florida and Georgia and all of those states down there, hey, they pad them up. It's just like the Division One uh, spring practice. So, see, different parts of the country, you can do different types of evaluation, too. Okay. And then what, what was your, like, what did you get most out of these evaluations? Um, I mean, you got to visit different schools. You couldn't talk to the kids, right? There was like the bump rule, but you could watch some of them. Like, was it really for the, the football part? Were you trying to watch a kid or have your staff watch kids and see how they perform? Or is it mostly like kind of what you talked about, just getting out there and getting your name out there more? Well, it was a combination of both. First of all, uh, your assistant coach will always tell the head coach and tell the uh, player, hey, uh, Harvey Hyde's going to be on campus on Thursday. Your head coach is coming in to watch you and, and say hi and meet you. And then, and then that, see, what happens, the high school coach uses that for a motivational talk to his kids because he wants to have a good practice because they don't know who he's coming to look at, but he's coming. But the assistant coach has already set up the recruits you're looking at. And, you know, he can't talk to them, but they look for you and they see you. And unless you do that and be at that campus and other coaches aren't there but you're there, they see that you care enough about them. And you use that in recruiting to say, hey, did uh, Joe Blow come and did he come to your spring practice? And they go, no, he didn't come. I said, well, he sure must think about you a lot. He must be somewhere, isn't he? And you'd be able to use this. So... Uh, you get around your top recruits. You get around it to as many schools. I'll tell you, in a normal day, in a normal day when I'm on the when I was on the road, I would try to hit hey, six to eight to ten high schools a day. At wow! Least. At least, I mean, it was set up. We would move. I'm telling you, we'd be in and out. There was no lunch break. We'd start early in the morning at seven o'clock. Get on campuses when people were arriving. Walk around. Get back in the car get to another one and then of course we we knew the ones we wanted to be at with spring practice going on so we'd schedule those closer together where we could get to those you know what i mean now was it was so, there a negative there where if you're you're obviously if you're going to go to 10 high schools a day you can't spend as much time at each one no nope. uh, was there a negative like oh he only was here for 20 minutes or a half an hour or whatever 
no, not really, because you made that. You made that, and you explain that to people when you're there. You know, you say, Coach, you know, I'm sorry. I wish I could stay longer, but I wanted to come by, and we appreciate the way you treat our assistant coaches when they come by. And, and if there's anything we can do to assist you, or if you'd ever like to want to come to one of our practices, remember it's always open to you or bring your team over or whatever you have to do. You know, whatever you do. And remember in the summer we have a clinic. We'd like to invite you to our clinic. Come on over. And uh, so or if you need to talk football, come on over and I'll – you want to meet with our defensive line coach if there's techniques that we use that you want to pick up on please come over call us so they don't expect you to stay long because they know you can't stay long you know you can't spend a whole day at one school but you don't have that many days to do it so i used to spend probably one day during the spring with each of my assistant coaches and i used to have maybe eight coaches i forget what i had assistant coaches or maybe in la i'd spend two days because there's so many players in la or three days and some of the other areas one day but uh you've got to get around you've got to see be you've got to be there you've got to be seen you've got to talk to people you've got to uh, and what i used to evaluate is you can't see that much in the spring i used to evaluate and, and focus on a kid's ability his size first of all but a lot of times Kids are listed as six two, two fifteen, and really they're six foot two five. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I hate to say that. I'm not saying anyone is trying to, you know, but there's sometimes mistakes made. Okay, I say right. it that way. And so I I look at the kid and I say, well, they say six two, but hey, that kid's not an inch above six foot or five eleven. So I guess that's part of the bump rule. If you can bump into a kid and you know how tall you are. You know, if you're six three and you see that he's really, you know, he's more like five eleven. I mean, you can you're, you're not allowed to say much. You can sh- shake your hand and say hi, but at least you can measure him up yourself one on one right in front of him. Right, you can. And so I used to use that a lot for that, and I could watch him in spring practice or say he was running track. I would go to a track meet and watch him run and see how you know how he did run and 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 all of that. Or I'd check the hands of a receiver or how a guy adjusted and how a guy backpedaled or how a guy threw the ball and all these different things. So, you know, you don't, you don't really evaluate. What you do is become accustomed to someone. Now, the great players that are committing now, you've seen already. Uh, when you went to that school before, when they were 10th graders, you've, you've seen them and you know that you like them. So when they're, uh, they become a junior, you've seen them as a junior. So, you know, and a lot of kids have already verbally committed. So, I think it's becoming more sophisticated every year. I think it's becoming more of a early commit than ever before. I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see the NCAA on early commits. So most of these kids verbally commit early because they're tired of the recruiting process. They're tired of getting 15 phone calls a night. So they say, Dad, I'm a mom. I just want to make a decision. So what they do is they commit to a school. Well, I think there should be an early signing period now because people don't stop recruiting them. They still keep calling them, and they still keep trying to recruit them. And I think if a kid doesn't early commit, then I think that what you should do is respect that. And I think that that kid then should be offered at least. He doesn't have to sign it, but he should be offered at least that opportunity to sign a national letter of intent and say, I'm done, I've made it my mind, leave me alone, I want to go to the prom. Yeah, I mean, basketball has an early signing period, and so far it hasn't been that way in football. We'll see if that ends up coming around. But uh, I think it will. I think it will, because a lot of parents get tired, and the parents start answering the phone, and they keep saying, no, he's not home, or they uh, don't bother him. or You know what I mean, don't you? Yeah. It, it becomes really a, 
really a, something that you don't don't confuse my kid. He's made up his mind. That's where he wants to go. But you know, as coaches and anybody else, you're always out out there actively trying to change somebody's right. mind. <laughs> I'm sure you did that more than a few times in your career, coach. Yeah, but. yeah. I, oh, yes. Yeah. So let me let, let me give you an example. Let's say your UCLA situation, and let's say you know you lost you lost a quarterback, two quarterbacks in the spring, as they did. One, they should get back. At least they hope. Let's say there's a great junior out there. Let's say there's a John David Booty out there who could graduate early, and he's a great player. Why wouldn't you want to go out and maybe, if this kid academically qualified, say, why don't you come early? Why don't you graduate and join us in the fall? You might have a chance of starting. I'm not saying anything against Kevin Kraft or any of those other players. I'm just saying this could happen too. So there's a lot of things you think about in recruiting and your program, especially what if you didn't have any quarterback that you feel could get it done. Then you could think of those kids and say, who academically, who's a great player out there, could graduate early and come in and assist us? So, you know, there's all different things you think about in recruiting. Yeah, and that makes sense. Well, unfortunately, Coach, we're out of time for this segment. Uh, thank you for your insights, as always. If anyone has a question for the coach they want us to talk about in the coming weeks of the podcast, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. I wanted to quickly thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, Concert Sports Theater. You can call 1-800-888-7287 or go to sctickets.com. Coach, as always, thanks for uh, spending some time with us and talking about football. Well, thank you again, and have a good week. All right, and uh, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk to uh, USCFootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez about that May evaluation period and uh, some of the offers that went out recently and where the coaches are uh, evaluating right now. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. In our second segment, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Medard. How's everything going today? It's going great. I'm excited, man. Uh, a lot of offers going out, and uh, we're finally at that point where we May evaluations, and uh, the assistant coaches are out on the road, and they're they're working it, you know, they're looking under rocks and <laughs> they're looking in the bushes and trying to find as many talented players as possible. And we're just trying to keep up with them with the coverage. Great. And uh, no one does a better job of that than you. If you, uh, if anyone out there has questions for Gerard or anyone else on the podcast, you want them answered during our weekly internet radio show, you can always email us podcast at uscfootball.com. Okay, Gerard, one of the more interesting recruiting updates I've, I've ever read from you uh, went up this week. Um, Hebron Fan Grupo. I think, is that how you pronounce his name? Fan Grupo? Almost. Uh, it's Close. better than how you were saying it 15 minutes ago. It's <laughs> Hebron Fan Grupo. Don't, don't get, there's no R's no or D's R. in there. It's 
Van Gupo. Excellent. Well, anyway, it was a really interesting story. And actually, people started talking about it on the message board. Uh, I mean, the kids obviously had some, you know, a rough time moving back, you know, to Tonga and uh, coming out and, and basically saying that whoever's playing defensive tackle for USC should redshirt or transfer or something because he's going to be starting. So obviously, he doesn't lack for confidence. But I just wanted to kind of, if you could give people a little uh, background on him and what you thought of uh, when you were doing that update. Well, I mean, it's definitely a possibility that he's going to be a five-star player. Um, a lot of people have talked about him and just love that, you know, the guy's 330 pounds and he looks like he's 270 pounds. He carries himself very well. He has uh, just huge extremities, <laughs> his arms, his legs, his neck. Uh, you don't see guys that are built like that proportionately uh, for a guy who's, you know, 6'1", 6'2". Ran a 4'9". At the junior college combine at Citrus last weekend, uh, I think he had a four-seven shuttle. Uh, really good times, really good feet, and obviously um, USC's had a great, great tradition with Polynesian players. So they get excited when they see a guy that can come in. And you know, junior college players, the, last, the past few years have been kind of hard to recruit for USC. The, the, the academic requirements have changed for junior college players. Junior college players had to have 40% of their degrees done before they could transfer in. So it became not an issue of grade point average, but so much how many units that you had done uh, in your junior college before you could transfer to USC. So it's become more stringent, more difficult to get those guys in. But there's always the top guys that they still look at, they'll still recruit, and then it's kind of a wait and see what's going to happen academically. This particular recruit, um, Hebron Van Gupo, he's going to be a guy that hopefully he's going to get out in January. So, you know, he's going to look at his transcripts, and, and USC is going to be down there. They're going to visit him again. Nick Holt and uh, David Watson are going to be down there. And, uh, you know, they're going to take in another practice and watch him and kind of see, you know, what happens. And I think really at this point it's more about the academics than it is his talent. I don't think there's much question about his talent. And, uh, you know, he's come from a, a very interesting background. He is uh, a, a child burned down his own house, and basically his, his, his family nearly went into bankruptcy. They had a little bit of savings, and uh, their extended family helped him move back to Tonga. Um, Hebron himself actually grew up here uh, on the mainland, but uh, went back to Tonga where his parents were from. They started a, a small store, which grew into a bigger business, and they were able to save up enough money to send him back out here for educational purposes. So, you know, they wanted uh, him to get a get an English education, get an American education in the high schools, and he went to Century High School. It was a very good player for Century High School, but obviously that's not a huge high school. There's not a lot of exposure there, and he he wasn't always focused on what he needed to be doing. He wasn't always the, the player that he could be, but he also knew he was going to be going on a mission and that, you know, I think he kind of looked forward to that to get away and to kind of mature a little bit. At this point, you know, he feels like he's learned a lot from that situation. He went to the Philippines for a couple of years and came back uh, just as hungry as ever. And uh, right now he looks like a guy, like I said, could be a five-star level guy from what I'm hearing. Um, certainly going to be one of the top defensive tackles in the junior college class for 2009. Well, and I, I really liked uh, the parts of your story when he was, I mean, it was really interesting, obviously, just the fact that he accidentally burnt down his own house and kind of caused a, a big tragedy for his family and they're moving to, to other countries. And But he seems really focused on, you know, getting in college, doing really well, uh, going to the NFL and kind of supporting his family. Um it, you know, so it's interesting. It's it's great. He just seems like he's a real family kid, and he's just trying to, you know, mend anything that anything that he broke with his family. You know, years yeah, ago. Yeah, he feels a little, a little sense of responsibility for for what happened, and, and we were we were talking about it. 
it wasn't something that he was necessarily going to um, offer up. You know, we kind of were talking about it, and I was curious just as to how the fire started. It just, you know, because I asked him, I said, well, was it one of these big wildfires here that we had in Southern California? He said, no. He said, eh, it was a smaller fire. And it kind of, well, actually, I started the fire. <laughs> and I was like, wow. really? I thought he was kidding me at first. And now uh, you said he was playing with matches in the garage, and there was uh, nobody around. And I guess he was there just with, uh, you know, his, his his mom or something. And the, he ran away. He got scared. You know, he did, stuff started burning, and he, he got scared. He ran away, and I guess didn't say anything about it. And the next thing you know, half the house is on fire and pretty much lost everything. Yeah, I mean, and obviously he's a great talent. And you, as you said, he's going to be possibly be a five-star guy. Uh, he'd be coming in. Uh, next year, when you, you know USC is losing Feely Moala, the defensive tackle position, and and some people are projecting him to go, you know, number one overall in the 2009 NFL draft. So obviously he'll be a big loss. Uh, a guy that could come in and, and play at that spot. What do the coaches think when they hear a, an incoming player? Uh, you don't want to say arrogant, but I mean, I guess there's a level of arrogance there, but just very confident about his abilities. Do they do they like seeing that, or is it is there a line you cross at some point? Like, look, you're you're not going to be saying something like this. You're not in the program yet. We're not sure what you're going to be able to do. You know, I think they don't mind it when he's not in the program and he's saying something like that. When he has that bravado, because the coaches, obviously, this coaching staff is. You know, they've built their philosophies on competition. I mean, Pete builds his philosophy on competition. So they want a guy who's a fighter, who's going to come in, who's not going to back down to anybody. Now, with your, within the program, and you start to say things like that, a la Michael Coleman, who talked a little <laughs> bit about Lindell White and how he was going to do this and how he was going to do that, then I think it's once you're in the program, you need to find your place and you need to kind of pipe down until you prove something. But at this point, he's a big-time recruit, and he's, he's kind of calling his shot, and I think the coaches probably like that. They're, they're at least entertained by that. Okay, that's a good fun story. Anyway, it was a good story. If you guys haven't checked it out, check it out on uscfootball.com. Um, one of the other guys that we, we saw down in San Antonio at the uh, junior combine, so it's that combine they have for juniors before all the seniors play in that all-star game that the Army puts on. It's a, it's a great show. Uh, there's a lot of really big-name talent at that combine, and one of the guys that stood out to us watching the defensive lineman uh, was Craig Drummond. Uh, he's a kid out of Chicago, out of the Chicago area, and we both had heard some rumors that he was interested in SC, and I ended up doing a video interview with him, and I you know, I really got the impression he didn't even know what USC was. Not, no, it wasn't that bad, but he really didn't have, it didn't seem like he had any interest or knew if USC had any interest in him. But it sounds like something broke this week, and just wanted to give you, let you uh, update the people on what's going on with uh, Mr. Drummond there. Yeah, uh, I think it was Monday. Brennan Carroll actually came into Chicago and uh, took an evaluation visit to Morgan Park High School there in Chicago. And, uh, you know, interest definitely sparked. Uh, as you said, you know, down in San Antonio, it seemed like he wasn't really familiar with USC. And, but I don't know if it was necessarily USC. It's just the recruiting process itself. I mean, Craig's not one of those guys that's on the rivals database or in, you know, watching a lot of TV, I think when it comes to football, I think he's kind of removed from that has other things going on in his life. And so, you know, he was, and and when I talked to him uh, yesterday, he didn't really still have a lot of information. I think he's basically handed off the recruiting process to his father. So I gave his father a call. I said, well, okay, if you don't know what's really going on with a lot of things, he said he was very, very interested, but didn't have any specifics, called his dad and he was, 
a little more involved, and you could see that you know he had talked to the coaching staff. Um, he you know he knew a little bit about USC. His dad was actually recruited by USC um, out of high school, um, so he was familiar with just tradition-wise, you know what USC was about, and he likes Pete Carroll. Talked a little bit about uh, just the process itself, and you know I think early on he was a little skeptical about letting Craig go away from home for college. Uh, didn't feel like he was necessarily mature enough. Kind of, you know, his grades slipped a little bit. Um, and it was just a little bit of insecurity among the family. How are we going to let him take this process on? So he took it over, uh, basically his dad, for a while. And now he's kind of given Craig a little more leash, kind of letting him uh, kind of enjoy some of this and, and get a feel for the process again and talking to the coaches. And uh, I think he feels that he's done well with it. His dad feels like he's matured. He's used this time well over the past basically six months. And, uh, and and now feels like, you know, USC's a possibility. They could maybe let him go that far away from home. And, I, you know, I mean, honestly, I think that uh, if USC plays their cards right, it, it, it might come down to being a kind of a USC, Illinois, maybe a Miami battle. There's going to be some interesting schools that come in and come out of that. Tennessee's been down to the high school twice already, so they're really recruiting them hard. LSU's been coming down. Um, you know, he's had basically the top programs come through. Now, what I gathered, there was a story that we ran uh, not us ourselves, but Rivals.com put a story out that uh, Craig was going to take four visits uh, unofficially over the summer, and, uh, and and one of those visits would be USC. Now, talking to his father, the guy who's actually paying for these visits, because when you're taking an unofficial visit during the summer, you have to pay for that. Colleges cannot pay for visits officially until September 1st. So, talked to his dad about that, and his dad said, "Yeah, you know, four is not going to happen. <laughs> I don't have enough money in the in the bank to be, you know, throwing them, you know, go flying back and forth for four unofficial visits. It's probably going to be two unofficial visits. One unofficial visit will probably be farther away from home, Miami, uh, USC, one of those kind of schools, and then the other one will probably be the Illinois. I have a feeling, maybe Ohio State, maybe just a Midwest school, um, but that's probably going to be the extent of the unofficial visits this summer. Um, so you know they're they're excited about the process. The other thing that I kind of gathered was that I think a lot of these big schools, while they're recruiting Craig. They like him. They think that he's a great five technique. He's a big kid, 6'5", 265. We saw him down in San Antonio. He's every bit of that. Um, they want to kind of focus in, make sure he's got his grades together. He took, he took the ACT last month, um, and now so he's kind of waiting for, the, waiting for the results. His dad was pretty confident, though. He felt like he was going to score mid-20 or something. So they, felt, they feel like, you know, academically he's going to get on the right track and he's going to be able to fulfill those obligations. Um, so, you know, like I said, at this point, they're kind of some big schools are waiting. Uh, USC never really talked about a scholarship offer, kind of got out there that he had a scholarship offer. Uh, neither Craig nor his dad really talked and said, yeah, you know, I, I, we have a scholarship offer verbally or written. So I think that's kind of a wait and see kind of thing. Okay. And, it, you know, obviously said he looked really good. He was kind of dominant in the drills that we were watching. I, I filmed a bunch of his plays and we actually put that, that film online after the uh, All-American game. Uh, and he was very dominant. He was very dominant. And, uh, and I think, you know, that little competition really brought the best out of him because I've seen some tape on him. He's a little complacent. Last year wasn't his best year, I think, on tape, uh, watching him play with the pads on. And I think that's something that he's got to continue to focus on. Uh, but sometimes these guys are so good that they start to, to kind of wane a little bit and they don't. They don't play with that sense of urgency, you know. But at the camp, he was a guy that was cut in front of, you know, he was cut in front of the line. He was trying to take as many reps as he could uh, in comparison to a guy that 
um, you know, some people really like a lot. Uh, Justin Chason, who's a kid who just committed to Oklahoma, he was kind of standing in the background and, and watching more than he was playing. A guy like Craig Drummond, I mean, he, he jumped in there. He wanted every rep he could get against every good player as he could go, and he won the majority of those battles. Yeah, we saw that, and it was, it was actually kind of fun to watch, and I know the other scouts were commenting, commenting on that as well. And he made it into the Rivals 100, so he's definitely be a lot of schools out for his services, so we'll have to... Uh, See how that goes, but that was interesting. Now that you know, out of the you know, just out of nowhere, now he's uh, on the USC radar at least, or he at least is uh, familiar with USC. Where before, you know, a few months ago, that, that definitely wasn't the case. All right, uh, switching gears a little bit, Gerard. We uh, you put up a couple of target lists today. These are if, if fans are familiar with them. Uh, Gerard will post once a month, usually the 2009 for this year, 2009 defensive target list and offensive target list. So these are the the main guys kind of that USC is after on the USC radar and he um, arranges them by, you know, if they're in the rivals 100, they have a, a Cardinal background on them and the rivals 250. It's a, a gold background and everyone else just has a white background, breaks them up by position, obviously offense and defense. Like we said, uh, both of them went up today, the defensive list and the offensive target list. Uh, George, you know, over the last month, what do you think, you know, we do, you know, we talked about Craig Drummond. He's on the uh, target list now. I don't know if he was before, but he's definitely, up there now what were some of the the major updates that went on over the past month for uh your target list well really the main updates you know probably getting a lot of the the offers up there and updating those uh, a lot of kids have been getting offered over the past month and a half um but you know there's a surge in, in definitely some of the safety offers uh and the defensive back offers and that's obviously a position coming into this year that there's going to be a lot of questions about because uh, usc could very easily lose both safeties taylor mays and Kevin Ellison this year, if Mays decides to go early to the draft. Um, and cornerback position, you know, not a ton of depth there. And you're going to have a lot of upperclassmen. So that's kind of the position that uh, we've seen a, a, a real jump in offers. Um, USC offered Demario Jeffrey, who's a 6'3", 250-pound safety from Columbia, South Carolina. Um, now, this is a kid that uh, when I spoke to him on the phone, he was talking about how he wanted to get out of South Carolina. <laughs> Basically, the farther away, the better. Um, now, I've heard some, some things that maybe, you know, DeMario just likes to talk, and maybe he's really just going to end up in South Carolina. It's tough to know, but what he told me was pretty much he wanted to get out of the state. Um, he, he did admit that, you know, Alabama and Georgia were a couple schools that he was really looking at seriously. Uh, but USC was kind of an exciting offer that he had, and uh, he seemed to be very intrigued by the program. And just when you look at him, Physically, he fits that build of what USC wants as a safety. 6'3", 215. Some schools are going to look at him as a linebacker, um, but this kid at USC, he would be a heck of a safety. He might be one of the best guys that I've seen on film all year. Um, the Alpha uh, sent out uh, a couple offers uh, into uh, the, the cornerback uh, position, um, the main offer being Gabe Lynn. Uh, he's a 6'1", 175-pound cornerback from Jenks, Oklahoma. Um, not real excited. Seems like he's really taken the recruiting process with an even hand, not really um, getting too excited over you know one offer, offer over another. Kind of hard to read whether he was really interested about USC or not. I mean, he may be a guy that ends up in the Big 12, and and you know the USC offer is just another offer kind of to put up there and, and improve you know how good of a player he is more than it is a, a level of interest. Um, Jelani Jenkins, who's actually listed as a five-star linebacker by USC, he was offered a while back uh, by USC, but we have him listed as a safety. Mm. It's it's tough to really see where he's going to play in college because he's only six foot two hundred pounds, and that's that's kind of a small linebacker. 
uh, especially by USC standards. Yet he's a little stiff in the hips, kind of plays a little bit on a rail uh, when you're talking about a safety, and you don't know if he's going to be agile enough or what he's going to be able to do in coverage to talk about him being a safety. So he's a, he's a tweener. I kind of put him at safety just because uh, he's not really the kind of prototype big linebacker that USC loves. And USC, obviously, they've got uh, they've got two linebackers already committed, and uh, Marcus Simmons and uh, and Vontaze Burfick, both those guys were extraordinary at the Nike camp, and obviously they're going after Manti Teo as well. So that's three guys there. They might go for a fourth, but I don't know if Jenkins fits that role necessarily. Um, USC off, off, uh, also offered uh, the three kids from Sanford, Florida, Seminole High School, uh, Ray Ray Armstrong being the guy who's going to end up being recruited as a safety. He's another big kid. 6'4", 220, um, kind of fits that same mold as DeMario uh, De Jeffrey. And um, whether those guys really legitimately look at USC, we're going to have to see down the line because it sounds like they're going to play the process out all the way till signing day. So that might be, um, you know, we, I don't know if we're going to get anything from them over the summer or there's going to be any kind of uh, tilt of hand as to where they're going early on in the process. Uh, but definitely, I mean, I think that the, the cornerback position, just the defensive secondary overall, uh, was kind of kind of some some big names there getting off or some good players, and it's going to be intriguing because that's a position of need. Um, and I think you know something we talked about in the war room, staying on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Ken Norton going down to Lufkin, uh, East Texas, to check out uh, Jamarcus McFarland. Now Jamarcus has said that his top three are going to be Oklahoma, Texas, and LSU. We'll see if USC is able to sneak in there. Um, hasn't been. It doesn't seem like there's been a lot of contact with him. Uh, we did a story back on Jamarcus back in. October of 2007. So he's been a known commodity for a long time, but he kind of dropped off USC's radar. But obviously uh, Ken Norton goes down there and takes a non-campus visit. You have to wonder and, and think that uh, USC is going to try to make an effort to try to get back in there. And, you know, there's a possibility that they could. So definitely, you know, defensive side of the ball, there's been some, some interesting offers and, and uh, kind of seems like that's where the focus has been uh, mainly, you know, the, the last month or so. And McFarland, they're projecting him as a defensive tackle. Is that correct? Right, 6'3", 285. Um, you know, tape, he's pretty good. I, I don't think he's as overwhelming as uh, Chris Davenport, the kid from Mainsville, Louisiana, who's came in at 6'4", 305. He's just a monster of a, of a defensive tackle. Uh, Rivals likes Lufkin better. I haven't gotten really a straight answer as to why. Maybe they just feel like uh, Davenport's competition-wise doesn't play against the same uh, level of competition. Um, you know, up there in Lufkin, they're playing in 5A Division One. Uh, the highest level of Texas football. So they play some, some difficult competition, and McFarland has been dominant there. But physically, um, goodness, I mean, I don't know if you can see too many guys like Davenport coming out uh, who, who have that size, and, and, you know, he's been just as dominant, you know, when you watch them on film. Okay, and then on the offensive side of the ball, not as many positions of need, obviously. I mean, they're going to have, you know, a lot of, you know, they're going to have a bunch of quarterbacks. They're not gonna really going to need a quarterback. Uh, they still have, you know, of the six scholarship running backs on the team right now, and you still have uh, Moody McNeil coming in. Five of those guys are five stars. So it's obviously not going to be as easy to recruit some of the top-name running backs, but probably get some wide receivers because they're going to start, you know, losing some guys there. Is that? Do you think that's where, like, most of the uh, the churn is going to be on the offensive side of the ball recruiting-wise? Yeah, that's the interesting position uh, offensively. Running back, they really don't need any running backs. I don't see them 
really recruiting a ton of running backs at this point. Uh, they have Patrick Hall, who uh, at this point it sounds like they're going to bring him in as a running back. Uh, so that's not really a position of need. An offensive line, you know, they had five guys signed last year, and they're all good football players, so they're expecting a lot out of those guys. So the numbers at those positions are low. Wide receiver, they have a lot of receivers on the depth chart right now, but some of those guys are going to be leaving and moving on. Um, it's kind of an intriguing position because you have Randall Carroll at the very top. He's a five-star, uh, just got a five-star last month, 5'11", 175, ran a uh, 10 at the Arcadia Invitational. He's a just a burner. Rivals loves him because of what he can do you know, with the ball in his hands after the catch. So he's a yak guy. Um, and also they have Devon Flournoy, who's uh, already committed, 6'175", um, very, very sleek, very smooth route runner. Um, also a guy who can do a lot of things with the ball after his hands. Uh, get the ball in his hands and do a lot of things after the catch. So you have those two guys who are the smaller slot type receivers. Now you're looking for the big guy. And the problem is there's not a lot of big guys this year. There's not a lot of those 6'4", 6'5", 200-pound flanker types that are going to go up and get the ball or going to be great possession receivers inside on the slant routes and the intermediate routes. So at this point, you've got one guy that kind of stands out being Marlon Brown. Now, he's real tight with Matt Barkley. They've been talking. Uh, they want to play in the ESPN game together. It's going to be interesting to see if it, if it really plays out to being, you know, what everybody thinks, you know, that you, you, you have a, the top quarterback and, you know, the receiver wanted to play with the, the top quarterback because obviously your receiver, you can be as great as, as Jerry Rice, but if you don't have anybody to throw the ball to you, you're going to be in trouble. So I, I think Marlon Brown appreciates that. question is, is Marlon Brown really Marlon Brown? Is he really that five-star, fantastic number one receiver that a lot of people talk about? You know, there's some people on, on one side of the fence that think he, he is as dominant as a receiver as you're going to see in high school, and then there are other people that have a lot of questions about whether he's really as big as he is and what kind of competition is he able to do all these great things that he's done? Um, you know, he plays at a very small level of football there in Tennessee, which is to say that he's playing at a really, really, really small level because Tennessee football is not all that great in and of itself. Um, and then I think with USC specifically, there's maybe a little bit of that, that taste that, you know, they went out there and, and with Patrick Turner recruited him. Patrick Turner has not lived up to expectations. Let's submit it. At this point in his career, he's not lived up to the five-star number one receiver in the country type uh, uh, expectations that he had coming in. And Marlon Brown kind of fits that same background as being the guy that um, is coming from the very small school. He's doing a lot of great things against a lot of really bad players. And that, I think, has a lot of teams skeptical. There's teams that really love him, and then there's teams that are really not sure about him. So that's kind of where he falls in. And, and that's the position. That's that third receiver in this class that everybody's trying to figure out, you know, who's that guy going to be? Uh, another name that comes out is, is Rolando Jefferson, who's really a fantastic athlete. A guy who could kind of really play a bunch of different positions, but he's a little bigger. He's about 6'2", 190, uh, came out as a sophomore to the Nike camp and, and blew everybody away. Uh, definitely a great player when you watch him even on film, but he's got to get his grades together. He's got to get focused. He's got to get qualified, and that's not, you know, that's not going to be known until later on in the process. So a lot of schools are basically trying to just waiting on him, and, and they're not getting involved in the recruiting process with him. They're going to see what he does after the summer. And then you might hear more buzz about him um, in, in terms of uh, with USC or just even Division One scholarships. I think at this point he has very few of those. And, again, it's just because teams are waiting to see if guys can qualify. And, uh, and, and, and some of these guys, you know, they've got to get some summer school classes, um, some of those BYU night courses or whatever you take to try to get caught up. Right. He's one of those guys that kind of fits into that. Uh, position as well. So, yeah, the receiver position, even though they've got two commitments, we're going to have to kind of see who that third guy is. You know, who's that guy that fits into that next position and, and, and how does he fit into that position? You know, it's, it's not so much 
who's the best player. It's, it's really who's the best player for USC, seeing who they already got committed. Yeah, and I guess the most surprising thing in that group that you talked about to me was Marlon Brown, and it's exactly the same thing. I mean, I think Patrick Turner can be a great player. Obviously, he has not lived up to the, the hype, and when we were at, I think it was Publishers Conference a few years ago, we talked to some of the people that were evaluating you know, the talent that year when Patrick Turner came out, and one of the guys was so adamant about making him a, a five-star and one of the top two or three players in the country. I think he was ranked number two or something in the country coming out of high school. Uh, I, I I was wondering if rivals would be a little hesitant to, to, to a little hesitant to put Marlon Brown because he's a similar kind of size guy, six four, two hundred pounds or so, and he's also he's from Memphis, not from Nashville, but uh, you know another ten, big Tennessee wide receiver who didn't play against the best competition, and they're still putting him as a five star, so it'll be interesting to see, and you know we'll see if he's in the mix for being that USC third wide receiver. Well, the only you know the only thing with Patrick Turner, which uh, is kind of a defense in in the recruiting services, uh, you know, mind is that Patrick Turner went to the Army All American Bowl and he dominated that too. So it wasn't necessarily just a thing where you know he was he was in high school and it was a good pasture and and dominated that those players and nobody saw him you know really play anywhere else. He did go to the Army All American Bowl and he pretty much owned all those defensive backs every day in practice and, and did pretty well in the game too, if I recall. So it was one of those things where, you know, he, he did seem to raise his level of, of ability against, you know, a higher level of competition. It's just the USC, he hasn't been able to do that much. And that, yeah, unfortunately, whether it's, it's, it's right or wrong, I mean, people can debate whether that should have an influence on how people rank Marlon Brown. It, it is in people's heads, obviously. So, uh, we're going to have to see how it all plays out. It's it's going to be interesting, and, and like I said, there's teams that that seem to be in love with him, and there's teams that seem to be not so sure, you know, what to think yet. And uh, he says that he's going to come out actually for the Rising Stars camp. Now, again, that's a, probably a connection with Barkley, and and Matt's probably in his ear and, and trying to get him out, and that would be fantastic. That would be a really that'd be a big advantage to USC to actually see him come in and see what he can do because the Rising Stars camp is is one place. Um, I think there's only two camps nationally that are school camps that really bring in a national level of talent, and that's the Friday Night Lights camp at, uh, at Gainesville for the University of Florida, and it's the Rising Stars camp here on the campus uh, of USC. Those are the two camps that really bring in guys from all over the place. And if uh, Marlon Brown came in and, and dominated against the level of competition that the Rising Stars camp can provide, then that would change maybe some people's mind, maybe just confirm some things in other people's minds. Yeah, certainly. Well, we'll be uh, all over those camps, and uh, Gerard, no one knows more about recruiting than Gerard Martinez. So I'm look, sure there's a few people out there. I, I don't know. I wouldn't I, say nobody. <laughs> I haven't found anybody yet, but uh, Gerard, okay, well, great, great job as always. Thanks smartest, for, guy, uh, smartest guy you know. <laughs> I, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, you know we will talk to you again next week. Awesome. Uh, have a good weekend. All right. Thanks, uh, Gerard. Coming up after the break, we will have the USC campus crawl. We'll talk a little bit about the Lexus gauntlet that USC clinched this week, so stay tuned. Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We 
we now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to our third and final segment of the Parastyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com or go on uscfootball.com. Check out the USC message boards and post some questions there. First up, before we get to the individual sports here on the USC campus crawl, we wanted to talk about the Lexus Gauntlet. This week, it became official. The Trojans beat the Bruins for the Lexus Gauntlet Trophy. In the seven-year history of the trophy, USC has won four times, UCLA three. Interesting enough, every even year USC wins and every odd year UCLA has won. USC jumped out to a huge lead this year against their crosstown rivals, but then slowly started to give way. In several sports, including men's basketball, USC won or split the regular season series only to fall to UCLA in the playoffs, giving points back to the Bruins. But a late flurry, including recent wins in women's track and field, women's rowing, and men's golf, put USC over the top. The current score is 67.5 to 42.5, with no chance for UCLA to overtake USC. Basketball. The Trojan basketball team's APR score was released by the NCAA this week. With a few past players leaving early and dropping out of school, the team's score suffered. The sanction was a loss of two scholarships and has already been served by USC this past season. With O.J. Mayo and Davon Jefferson leaving early this year, the Trojans could face similar sanctions if both of those players do not finish out the semester in good academic standing. Track and field. The women and men's track and field team squared off in Westwood for a dual meet against UCLA this past weekend. The women beat the Lady Bruins 86-77, snapping a 15-season-long losing streak to their crosstown rival. The USC men fell to the Bruins 89-74. The exciting come-from-behind victory for the women gave them their first dual meet title against UCLA since 1992. Men had a late lead on UCLA before being swept in the discus, 5,000-meter, and pole vault events. With her strong showing in the meet, USC senior Carol Rodriguez was named the Pac-10 Female Track Athlete of the Week. Baseball. It was another rough weekend for the USC baseball team, being swept at home by the Washington Huskies. USC was able to bounce back slightly, taking down Cal Poly later this week. This weekend, the Trojans host Cal State Northridge for a pair of games at Dado Field. Golf. The number three ranked USC men's golf team earned a number one seed in the upcoming 2007 NCAA Championships West Regional. A 27-team field will compete for the title between May 15th and 17th in West Lafayette, Indiana. Second-year coach Chris Zambri was named the Pac-10 Coach of the Year for the men. Last week, the Trojans finished second in the Pac-10 championships behind Arizona State. USC led entering the final day, but dropped back all the way to third place at one point. Then they battled back and ended up in a first-place tie with ASU. A one-hole, six-person-per-team playoff determined the winner, and the Sun Devils took the playoff by two strokes, earning the title. By finishing ahead of UCLA in the tournament, USC earned more points in the race for the Lexus Gauntlet. Rowing. The number 12 USC women's rowing team soundly defeated UCLA 6-1 in San Pedro over the weekend. This victory over UCLA earned enough Lexus Gauntlet points to secure the trophy for USC. The women of Troy now head up north to Sacramento on May 17th and 18th for the Pac-10 Championships. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.